Welcome to Trust Company Talks with Bill Noble and Burke Coons. All right, guys, here we are at our next episode of Trust Company Talks. Uh, welcome, everybody. Thank you. Uh, so we, we got we got Bill welcome, Noble Joe. and Burke Coons from the uh, Trust Company side and Nick Paleo and Jack Nicholson from our partners at, at Dimensional. And uh, we're glad to have uh, have these guys here with us today. And uh, uh, maybe guys, maybe Nick and Jack, maybe um, take turns kind of introducing yourself a little bit. Sure. Nick, you want to... Thanks, thanks, Bert. Thanks, Bill, for, for having us on today. We're really excited to, uh, to be a part of the podcast. Um, my name is Nick Paleo, uh, Regional Director, Vice President with Dimensional Fund Advisors, uh, working out of our Charlotte location, uh, which we opened just a, a few years ago to give us an East Coast pre- uh, presence. Um, been in the asset management industry for you know about 17 or so years at this point. And, uh, you know, I've had the great pleasure of working with Nick for about a decade and a half. I've been a dimensional for about 10 or 11 years now. Uh, but prior to that, I worked with Nick over at Vanguard before we uh, kind of found religion and, and, and joined, uh, joined dimensional. We'll give a little bit of history on, on the background of, of all of that. But uh, my role today, I'm a vice president. I help lead our uh, our, our group that's working with uh, new independent advisors across the country. Excellent. Well, Bill, did you have a couple of questions to ask our guests here this morning? Uh, sure. Thanks, Burke. And as, and Jack and uh, Nick, it's great to have you all this morning. Uh, and, you know, I've been with the firm 23 years and we've been working with Dimensional for quite some time and um, have truly enjoyed our relationship with them. They have, they have really separated themselves, in our opinion, as 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 a strategic wealth advisors and fiduciaries for our clients. Um, DFA has been a dimensional fund advisors who goes by the uh, the terminology of DFA. Um, most people refer to them that way. We've had a great relationship with them, and I've and I have personally enjoyed my professional relationships with both these gentlemen. And uh, I really, really was kind of. Um, First time I met with Jack and I, and he told me his name was Jack Nicholson. I kind of, I went, really? Your name's Jack Nicholson. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> but, and he's, but they're both great guys and they've done a great job for us. But, um, so why don't we, uh, I, first of all, I just like to get a little bit of background about DFA and, and let you guys tell, tell your story a little bit. I mean, you got a great story to tell. So please, I, I mean, I don't know, Jack, why don't you, why don't you, why don't you give us a little background on the firm and where you guys came from? Sure. I appreciate you asking, Bill. And, and I, yeah, it's been a long time since you and I first met. So, yeah, you know, I, I had a little bit more hair back then, but <laughs> I, uh, you know, with the name like Jack Nicholson, I've been going around disappointing people for the 45 <laughs> years now, but it, it has worked in my favor. You know, I started in our Santa Monica office. And so I, while I never had the uh, courage to go try to grab his seat at a Lakers game, using the Jack Nicholson <laughs> name around Santa Monica got me some great restaurant <laughs> reservation and uh, some interesting seating next to some other folks that were a little bit more famous than this particular guy. But anyway, your question about dimensional, I appreciate you asking, you know, the, the history of dimensional, uh, certainly, obviously, uh, I think Nick and I find fascinating. It's kind of a long story. And for those of us kind of investment nerds and folks that 
truly want to understand a little bit more about the evolution of capital markets. That's, I think it's kind of a fascinating tale. And actually, uh, you may be familiar, uh, Burke and Bill, that there's a, there's a new book out uh, called, titled Trillions by uh, Robin Wigglesworth. And, uh, and indeed, in that book, he, he kind of outlines a lot of this history in the evolution. And I'll try to give a, a couple minutes snapshot on that, because I think in order to truly understand dimensional, you have to understand the paradigm shift that started to take place 50 years ago, actually a little bit more than 50 years ago now with the research that started to evolve some of these ideas that were implemented 50 years ago. And that paradigm shift is that the long held view was that the only way to have investing success was to concentrate on a handful of names or hire a manager uh, that concentrated in a handful of names of individual stocks and bonds. And that was investing success. You had to go out and outsmart the market. Well, that's what most people thought. But ultimately, what we've started to realize over the last 50 plus years now is that that conventional approach, that idea of trying to time in and out of stocks, time in and out of markets, it's a, a, a it's kind of a risky approach. It leads to a very low probability of success for most people, and it's completely unnecessary in the pursuit of goals that most investors have. Uh, I kind of, you know, Bill, you know, I'm a I'm a pretty bad golfer. I love the game, been playing a long time, but it's kind of like you know somebody like me staring out of 200 yards out of an island green under a tree and trying to carry a ball low under a tree, get it over and stop it on to kind of a really fast round Donald Ross green. It's a real low probability of success. And yet sometimes I'll go after that shot. Well, it's the same thing with a lot of traditional conventional managers. That's kind of of what they think and and do a lot. Well put indeed. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. That's a great, great analogy there. Yeah. No, but you've got that shot there, right? Yeah. Oh, no, uh, <laughs> I've been, I've been in that exact same position. Jack. So, uh, <laughs> so I, I don't, I, I've, I've seen Jack's game. He can, he can pull that off a time or two. I don't know yeah. that I, I want yeah. to rely on it too often, but a time or two. See, that's <laughs> the problem. You pull that shot off every once in a while and you get it right once. It feels so good that you'll take that, that chance, even though it's a one in a hundred shot. And that's just not a chance that, that clients can take because they don't have a hundred different shots. They've got a retirement goal and they need to go achieve those different goals. And so you guys have to sit and say, well, what are the probabilities of these different approaches to getting to that flagstick? <laughs> Having Jack hit that hooded forearm that's a pretty low chance. I'll go yeah. ahead and scrap that and go with something else. But, you know, getting back to that story, you know, it was a little more than 50 years ago. That was absolutely, everybody thought you had to hit the hooded forearm. <laughs> well, mm-hmm. along came this uh, group of academics that started to kind of form in the halls at the University of Chicago. You had Gene Fama. You had Myron Scholes, you had Merton Miller, and a whole host of other characters. And they started to, for the first time, apply computing power to analyze how are these professional managers doing? Are they truly turning lead into gold like they say they are? 
Well, sure enough, the tests on manager performance ruled out the fact that these folks were able to add value. They weren't. The vast majority of them, after their fees, were net negative relative just a bland basket of stocks. And so, you know, 1965, Gene Fama, a future Nobel laureate, came out with this idea that, you know, rather than trying to pick these stocks, we should look at the market as if it's containing all the information that's available from all these competing market participants. That information's in the stock. Included in that is information about future expectations for these companies. And that was a total mind shift. It was, it's not too dissimilar from when the, uh, the Greeks first said, hey, the world is round. And everybody said, you're out of your mind. The world is flat. <laughs> That's kind of you know, the, yeah. the initial reaction to, to Fama and the research that uh, came out of Chicago and MIT and some of these other schools. Oh yeah, I, I I totally agree with that, and um, you know, I was I was going to ask you one of the questions I was going to ask is what makes y'all unique, and I think you've kind of you've kind of crystallized it there in a way. I mean, from our perspective, one of the things that that we ran into, I, I've been with Trust Company over twenty three years now, and um, and I've been in the investment management business for over thirty years, so I, I have actually lived what you just spoke through from a historical perspective, Jack. And um, um, DFA is a very unique firm. You know, I, I can remember in our early days when we um, when we forged our relationship with you, you gentlemen and your firm, um, some people would come back to us and say, well, aren't they just, aren't they just indexers? And it's funny that you, both you gentlemen happen to work for Vanguard, who is probably the most profound, you know, most well-known index firm in the firm, in the world for that matter. And Jack Bogle, most people know who he is and all that. But um, I said, oh no, they're, they are not indexers. They're, they're not traditional active stock picking and they're not traditional indexers. They adhere to what we call an evidence-based approach to investing. And um, so talk about that a little bit more and in, in, in the uniqueness of that and how yeah how it how it resonates and can add value to a client's portfolio. Absolutely, Bill. And and I think that there's sometimes confusion around yeah. that very question. So hopefully we between Nick and I we can we can shed a little bit of light on that. You know, if, if we go back to that that story of you know 50 years ago. So it was 50 years today, or not today, 50 years uh, in 2021 is the anniversary of the very first index funds. It just so happens those index funds were based on research that was done in Chicago and, and kind of challenging that conventional wisdom. At University of Chicago in the late 60s and early 70s were two gentlemen, uh, David Booth and Rex Singfeld. David and Rex were teaching assistants of the future, future Nobel laureate Fama and understood the power of these ideas and wanted to go implement them. And so in 1971, David Booth, while working at Wells Fargo Bank, and Rex Singfeld, while working independently at American National Bank, formed those two first institutional index portfolios, which I think is really cool. It was the power of using those ideas that were founded and putting them into practical use. Now, while they understood that there's a lot of useful uh, tools associated with being an index, it's also a blunt object. So when David and Rex came back together, they said, what can we take that is really valuable 
about the index fund and then get rid of some of the arbitrary things associated with it. So how is it different? Well, we're, we're, we want to use all the information in price every single day. And that information yeah. price tells us some things that are meaningful. In stocks, we know that higher expected returns are attached to these stocks that have characteristics of value, profitability, and size. And so an index fund isn't going to use that information. Dimensional wants to use that information in the structure of how we establish portfolios. We also knew that Anytime you are an index, you have to trade exactly on a predetermined set of days at a predetermined weight. Well, if you do that, you're a forced taker of liquidity in the marketplace. There's all kinds of hidden costs associated with that. Yeah. And to dimensional, that just didn't make any sense. So when they came back together, they said, let's use these great ideas that we saw from our days in forming those first index funds, but let's improve upon them. And the best way that they could think to improve upon them was to build really tight relationship with the leading academics that were pushing forward innovative ideas. And so the board of directors was formed at the halls of Chicago. They got Gene Fama, Merton Miller, Myron Scholes, all future Nobel laureates to sign up because they liked the idea of having an institution that could apply these really cool cutting edge ideas in a real practical and valuable way for end investors. So I think that's an important thing. If you think about that kind of legacy and that history, yeah. the reason dimensional looks different than an index fund is because of some of the, the challenges of being an index fund that they saw in the very early days and a desire to continue to constantly innovate, to incrementally improve on those powerful ideas. One of the things that, that I, I think one of the core things that I think people find who are, who are traditional, um, you know, active stock picking type of uh, um, have that orientation is just how I think it'd be interesting to hear y'all talk about how um, like a typical, like an S and P 500 index fund, how they reconstitute versus the way you guys do it. I mean, so you're buying a lot of the same stocks or insert there's an people don't understand or, or certain people don't understand that there's an index for basically every asset class out there. And, um, but they all, the way they, they reconstitute is very, it's very stringent and it's very in which you guys are not stringent and you're, and that's where the active element and my, for lack of a better word comes into play. I, Nick or Jack, either one of y'all, I'd love to hear y'all talk about that. Expand on that. If you could. Nick, you want to yeah. take that one? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and there's certainly an active nature to that implementation. So the point of the point of trade that our portfolio managers and traders are interacting with the market on a, on a daily basis. Now you think about Billy, you've mentioned some of those, indexes and index funds that track some of those larger uh, areas of the market or asset classes, the S&P 500, you know, the Russell 2000, the Russell 1000, you know, those, are, those represent different areas of the market and the funds that track those indexes basically trade exactly as those indexes trade. And those indexes, you know, we could talk about the history of them and, and how they came to be, but they, they really weren't designed to be investment vehicles. They were, they were designed as Jack was alluding to, to measure the performance of some of those active managers, um, you know, from way back when. 
you know, so when you think about the way that they restructure some of the portfolio to account for changes in market price, that occurs on a very infrequent basis. Some do it once a year, some do it twice a year, three times a year, once a quarter. But if you think about the impact of that on market prices and the portfolio and the value of those portfolios, you know, it's, it's somewhat akin to buying roses on Valentine's Day, right? I mean, you don't want to yeah. disappoint your spouse. You know, so you go to the store on February 13th or February 14th, you know, you, you look at the price of a dozen roses, you know, what would you expect, you know, from that price of roses? It's going to be pretty elevated, right? Because everybody is doing the same thing at the same time. And that's the way that, you know, a lot of these index funds are, are managed because they have to, you know, they have to track exactly what the index does on a day in day out basis. They literally have one or two days a year where they've got to buy those stocks. I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, that's they're buying, they're buying those roses exactly on the day that everybody else is buying those roses. Right, so right. That's going to push prices higher. You know, when, when we're thinking about interacting with the market, we want to, we want to take that out and, and avoid those periods of time when everybody's flooded into the market and, and somewhat take advantage of that by trading on a daily basis, making incremental changes throughout throughout the year on those portfolios, but interacting the market with the market in a more flexible manner. You know, we, we're not beholden to any indexes, but what we want to do is, is operate and deliver the asset class exposure that your clients have signed up for. Yeah, that, that, that degree of freedom allows us to apply logic. And that matters because You've seen a whole host of different weird things that have gone on in the marketplace. Uh, trying to add uh, all of Tesla all in one day, yeah. that doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. And, you know, we, we have a portfolio that essentially owns all the, the 500 companies in the S&P 500. Uh, but we don't have to say we're going to go execute market on close for that. We can go get better execution and gain that position if we want and just that degree of freedom, even in the largest names, it matters. As you move down from mega cap names to mid and small and around the world, those degrees of freedom just amplify in importance. Yeah, Game, GameStop's another great example you know, of, of recent events that happened earlier this year, tail end of last year. You know, that, that run up uh, that GameStop saw in its, in its market price, we were, yeah. we were able to act and have flexibility around there where you know, an index fund, you know, that was a small and value company. It turned into a large and growth company. So it made that, you know, astronomical leap into a different asset class. But an index fund that doesn't have that rebalance or reconstitution set up on a daily basis isn't able to adjust for that. You're holding things outside of, of where you, you had intended to hold them. Well, you know, another thing that I think is worth bringing out about y'all's history and how y'all have grown as a firm is, um, I believe y'all were founded in, in the early 80s. Um, was it was it 81, 82? I, I can't remember exactly. Yeah. Um, but I mean, what's kind of amazing with, when we when we talk, you know, we we are a wealth management, full-fledged wealth management firm that also has trust capabilities. And um, one thing we love is that y'all y'all have grown your firm through working with fee, and we're a fee only advisor, which means we don't sell any we don't sell any products, we don't receive commissions. We 
as, as a fiduciary to our clients, we have an investment committee. We look at all these different money managers. Um, we're out there to try and give our opportunities that our, our clients the best opportunity to win. And, um, and the, one of the things that's been fascinating to me about um, your, mo- your model is that y'all have grown to, y'all have over 600 and some billion dollars under management now. Yeah, um, 650 or so. Yeah, and, and, and we have several billion ourselves that we manage, and, and a lot of our money is placed with you guys. For um, You just can't call a 1-800 number and get access to, to dimensional funds. you got to go through a firm like us. And quite quite honestly, and, and Burke, I would love to hear you talk about that. We we have access to any money, man. I mean, we're a we're one of the biggest boutiques considered boutiques upper end wealth management shops in the state I and mean, in the southeast for that matter. And um, and we have every money manager in the world calling on us, and we have access to all the people in New York and all the people out of everywhere. And um, we choose to use y'all as our as our, our core investment uh uh provider in that just for the very reasons you just discussed uh that that we believe it positions our our clients well but burke talk about a little bit about your experience and and how you how you think it's unique or i'd love to hear your thoughts well, yeah so so i mean of course i came from the the world of act, active management i've been a, a portfolio manager for 20 something years and have you know i've joined trust company, you know, this year to, uh, to, to be the investment strategist, of the firm and kind of help with, uh, on the investment committee, but also, um, uh, handling a lot of the messaging. And, and it's interesting as I think about, you know, our partnership and, and, um, some of the, you know, the, the misperceptions that surround a firm like DFA, where everybody thinks, you know, passive or people with the in, indexing. And there's, there's always going to be a, you know, a, a sexy story out there. Someone like a Kathy Wood, um, who's able to market um, uh, by, by virtue of uh, an adherence to innovation. But, you know, Jack, as I was s- sitting here listening to you talk, I thought, you know, this is the, this is, you know, the, the original, or, you know, it, it's, it's as innovative as it gets in, in that, um, and, and yet you're using timeless investment principles in that, it, of course, it makes sense that, you know, that, that the evidence suggests that, you know, there, there's a value premium and a size premium and a profitability premium. And, 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 the, and the larger those get, you know, or, or the more the market um, uh, crystallizes that, the more the market, um, uh, more that information is available, then the less, then the less uh, alpha appears or the less um, uh, desirable those investments become. But, but, but because of your, um, your approach, like, you know, you're, it's, I mean, you, Yes, there's a value tilt, but it's not. You know, you're capturing growth on the way up, just the way any growth manager would. So I find that it's a it's a, a fascinating um, sort of misperception about what uh, the dimensional approach is that that uh, that I you know feel great about sharing with clients and then anybody else for that matter. But I'd love to kind of hear y'all uh, as 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 you as you deal with questions from uh, institutional and individual clients. So, you know, how, how do you uh, I mean how how do you go about showing them you know that. Yeah, Burke, I appreciate your comments there. You know, there's there is a often a confusion that says, oh, dimensional is more index-like. And I think it's because we tend to be broadly diversified. We tend to be very low cost, right? And we tend to be very tax efficient. Right. And so I think because of those characteristics, people think, oh, there must be, you know, more of an index. Vanguard. Well, right. We're very much not an index company right. in that we have a business because we've delivered a long-term outperformance. 
And where we're different from traditional active managers is we look at the last 20 years, the vast majority of traditional active managers underperform their index. We look at dimensional, we typically outperform our index. So Bill, you asked, you know, when were we founded? So 50 years ago, the first index fund kind of changed the world. And now the reason that book's titled Trillions is because there's trillions of dollars in index. Still more money in active, but a massive movement towards indexing. And so I think of it as this way, you know, for 50 years now, indexing has been beaten up on active management. And uh, for 40 years now, Dimensional has been improving and innovating uh, to, to get better outcomes for our clients than you're going to get from traditional indexing. So I think that's an important differentiator. We have the same goals in active manager. We've just been able to do it more reliably. I, I think one of the most impressive things about your firm also that, that, that I, I think does not get enough attention is, um, well, first of all, y'all are a global firm. Y'all have offices all over the world. Um, you're headquartered in Austin, Texas, which is always fun to come visit you down there. But we all, y'all have also recently built a tremendous facility in Charlotte where, where Nick is. But um, to me, um, one of the greatest values that, that, that I think Burke and our entire investment investment um, committee and all of our advisors that work that are working directly in the trenches with our clients really appreciate is, um, first of all, y'all provide a volumes and volumes of ro- robust data that we can we can show people. Y'all have got this thing called the Matrix Book, which is there are a lot of different firms that give out certain kind of historical data, but I've never seen anybody that has that matrix book is an amazing tool to, to show, to give people historical perspectives on what's out there. And the other thing I really love is, um, you know, all these things we've been talking about, none of them work unless the, unless we as advisors are able to instill the discipline to our clients to adhere to a, to a certain we've, We've talked to you. We've talked about your risk tolerance, your time horizon, what you're trying to get out of this portfolio. But if they don't have the discipline to hang in there and stick to the stick to the plan, none of this works. And you know, and in our world, I mean, you we all know it's called behavioral finance. But you guys have provided a plethora of information to to, to me and to other people in our firm on just the whole behavioral finance phenomenon and how how it really ultimately drives people investment success. I mean, you're a great tool. You know, we feel like we're a great tool and on the advice we provide, but you got it. You got to buy into, uh, to these disciplines or, you know, if, as soon as the market goes down, you, you're selling. It doesn't matter if you're in DFA or whatever, you know, you, you've got to do that. And y'all, y'all have done a great job in providing data to show how to ride out certain ups and downs in, in markets and in the value premium, yeah, historically the value premium's there, but it doesn't mean that every year value's gonna value is gonna outperform growth. And I would just love to hear y'all expand about on that a little bit on the payroll finance part of it. Yeah, it's it's some great points you have in there, Bill. Um, you know, we we do love ourselves some data. Uh, that's that's for sure. Um, you we know, love you, you too, Nick. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> you and I were chatting about that Matrix book and and some of the stories that can come out of that. It's so interesting too. I mean, you can, you know, if you think about you know the, the early '60s, the advent of the computer and all that computing power to help us really understand, you know, the historical impact of market prices and security returns. 
you know, that's that's all encompassed into the, the the matrix book to show you, you know, kind of how those returns manifest themselves over time, so you can get a true historical perspective on you know what different asset class returns look like. Prior to the 1960s, you didn't have that. You know, there's plenty of yeah. managers that were out there that you know were were the, the professionals or the experts, um, but there was no way to to base their performance. Um, you know, and, and the, the computing power behind that really, really helped out with that. But the, the other point that you made that's, that's, that's really pertinent is, is around the importance of using an advisor, right? When we, when we were first getting off the ground back in 1981, David Booth was, was working with large institutional investors. You have to think of pension funds or 401ks, uh, big corporations. And it wasn't until the late, 80s, um, where we were approached by uh, an independent financial advisor, uh, which in the late 80s, there weren't too many of those. Uh, most yeah. of the advisors in the late 80s were, were stock pickers, similar to, to what we've described before. Uh, they, he, he approached us and said, hey, we, we'd love to use your funds. And there was a lot of trepidation there from, uh, from David and, and the, the company at the time, because you know that, that role and that position you know, that fiduciary uh, within the within the, the advising space hadn't really existed, so there there was some a little trepidation there. But pushed forward and and began a relationship with with independent financial advisors that act as fiduciaries for their clients, understanding the importance of the role of the advisor in an investor's success. Right? We yeah we think that we can build world class mutual funds, but you know put into the hands of, of individuals that maybe don't have that discipline or the expertise to understand how to put them together and, and, and maintain uh, on the plan, it's almost, it, it, you know, it really can hurt you in terms of you know, your terminal wealth. Uh, and that's, that's where you know, partnering with somebody like Trust Company of the South, I mean, you guys came around in, in 92, I believe, and, and We've been working with, with you and the firm for a long, long time. And you guys have, have done a tremendous job of, of adding value to your clients above and beyond you know, what we think we can do with our mutual funds. Yeah, I think Nick hits on a key point. And we, we do. We think we build the best investment solutions out there for public markets and equities and fixed income. And we're really proud of the body of work we have to support that. We're equally confident that most people can't have a successful investment experience if they don't have somebody that they can trust that they can work with. I've had the pleasure of meeting several of your clients, and we're talking some super sharp, incredibly successful people. <laughs> they have the mental horsepower to understand all these ideas. They can do a, a good amount of it by themselves in terms of understanding yeah. That's right. the, the, the challenge is that most people absolutely need an advisor for some components. There's the clarity of purpose. What am I truly investing for? What are we as a family investing for? What are we as a foundation investing? For? Understanding that is actually a lot harder than people think. <laughs> then, you know, the discipline element that you brought in, that, that's absolutely easy to say and incredibly hard yeah. to do. Yeah. And the challenge is 
you're going to deal with folks that have had success. They got through 2000 to 2003. They got through 2007 and 2009. They got through even 2020. But the challenge might be that people, as we age, our thinking and our ability to endure risk, the behavioral elements you mentioned, Bill, they come into effect. And there's not an alarm that goes off and says, you're going to make a huge mistake the next time the market cries. And yeah, yet yeah. we can look certainly into the data and what happens every time the market volatility happens, people sell, they sell all the way down. And then they do not put that money back to work until after the market's at a higher level. It's the biggest wealth destruction cycle ever. And so trust company comes in with all the competence that you can bring, but also the conviction and understanding of the investment philosophy that you all put together such that your clients are able to get through those difficult periods because having that clarity purpose, having that discipline comes with humility too. Oh, yeah, certainly does. To be able to be self-aware and understand because I've seen a lot of really smart, successful people that, hey, I got through these different timeframes and then I made one mistake because I didn't realize that my underlying ability to endure risk changed and I sold and I destroyed my wealth. You know, uh, Albert Einstein talks about the eighth wonder of the world being the power of compound interest. You never want to derail compound interest. <laughs> you hear Warren Buffett talk about it as to why his wealth is gone. He never breaks compound interest. You break compound interest when you try to market time or when you end up in a really concentrated portfolio that doesn't participate in the market's return. So there's a huge reason why Dimensional doesn't have a retail arm. It's because we recognize the power and the necessary nature of a trusted and competent advisor. That's so well put. Uh, well, we've got that recorded. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, that, that was that was, excellent. That, was, that was dynamic there. That was great. Um, yeah, thank uh, you. We we have well, there were a couple of things we wanted to talk about today, and I was thinking about um, about the future the future of of, of uh, investing and of the, the 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 wealth management industry as far as what we are in. Um, we feel like we're very uniquely structured, but um, um, and I heard a I heard a, a gentleman speak the other day. Uh, um, what's, what was that gentleman's name with um, trip? What is it? Uh, Chip Room. Yeah, yes. yeah. I heard him heard him speak the other day, and it it gave me great comfort. He was talking about the future, and I felt like we're already doing everything that he was talking where the future is going to be ten years from now and twenty years from now. But I would love to hear you guys talk about. Um, you know, how, how the industry has evolved and how investing is going to evolve and all those things, because, you know, y'all, y'all some really smart people and y'all seem to be on the cutting edge of everything. So um, anything I want to share would be most appreciated. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll take a crack at that. And I'm sure Jack has some, some ideas as well. I mean, and Billy nailed, I mean, uh, trust companies, it's a, highly operating firm and you guys are doing a lot of this work already. I mean, what, what we're, what we see out there, we, we kind of boil down to, um, you know, the, the 4C type of approach, if you will, what, what great firms are doing and, and what a lot of firms still need to try to figure out. Uh, and those, those four C's that we talk about are, are competence, you know, where the, you know, the, the financial professionals that you're working with, are they doing the financial planning, you know, the investment selection and monitoring, 
you know, are they taking care of the asset allocation, the rebalancing, the risk management? You know, at, at this point in the game, that C is kind of a, a table stake. You know, that's that's what you need to to engage in the conversation. But what what the great firms are doing is around you know the next C, coaching. You know, where's where's the education come in? Go back to your your comments around uh, the behavioral aspect of this. How do you help folks maintain that path? on the, the goal and the plan that you've set forth for them, setting real expect, realistic expectations, helping them to, to navigate emotions as you see volatility within the marketplace and perhaps within their portfolios. You know, what are you doing from a convenience standpoint? You know, as, as you alluded to, I mean, a lot of bright, super sharp individuals that you work with, but you know, how, can you, how can you be a time saver for them, what's the, the personalized service that, that you're offering? You know, you're coordinating with, with trusted professionals. You know, a lot of a lot of trust company, you, know, you, you guys, you guys have a lot of that in-house and you're able to serve your clients particularly well. And then the final C on that framework is, is around continuity, which is which is huge, right? It's that spousal involvement, it's engaging the next generation, you know, the children, having them be part of the conversation as well. You know, thinking about that multi-generational planning, you know, where are the legacy concerns and are there any philanthropic efforts they're, they're looking to pursue? You know, so I think there's going to be a, a big push or continued push towards uh, planning centric <coughs> framework around, you know, once we have that, you know, that first seat of confidence around, you know, the, the portfolio and the investment set up, you know, how do we, how do we best serve clients and we see that level of service continuing to rise within the industry we run one of the largest benchmarking surveys in the world globally mm -hmm. and and we see that constantly from the data that we receive from advisors that the the level of service that's demanded by their clients continues to to ratchet up and they're thinking of creative ways to continue to to meet those needs um you know so that said i think there's there's going to be an increased complexity that advisors are, are, are going to have to work through with their clients. So, you know, sticking on that C framework, complexity is another one, uh, customization uh, yeah. you know, to help, help solve for some of those unique clients uh, situations. Mm -hmm. And then I think, yeah. you know, I think the interesting wildcard will be how technology plays a role. You know, yeah. what, what's, what's going to help folks get cheaper and faster you know, transact in a more efficient way. You know, what's, what's going to help you all make your clients' lives easier? You know, is that machine learning? Is it artificial intelligence? You know, you think of some of the, the big technology companies out there and, and what they've been able to, you know, almost recreate themselves in, in some ways or recreate industries based off of, of some of that technology. You know, does, does that find its place into, into you know, the, the wealth management arena? Yeah, I think that's well put. I mean, the the uh, you know the thing that we're really focused on is y'all are. I mean, well, you know, Burks Burks. I'm, I'm probably spoken a little bit more than I should let Mister Koontz lay in on this, but uh, you know, our our value proposition is that it's investment management, asset management. Then we do. We're we're very very steeped in financial planning and estate planning and we are a trust company also so we can sort of add, you know provide the whole gamut all under one roof simplify people's lives organize their lives and then 
position their assets in a way that gives them the best opportunity to win. But, but um, the technology part is, is probably the, it's just changing so fast and everything. And uh, our biggest challenge is to provide our clients the most uh, state-of-the-art uh, access from a technology standpoint. And that's, that's something we are really working hard. That's probably one of our biggest goals for next year is really take that to a new, newer, a better, higher level than it's been. And um, cause that's definitely where it's moving from where we see. Um, I don't Burke, you, you have any thoughts on that? I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree 100%. I mean, it's, it, you know, one of the things about, uh, you know, a, a small-ish firm like ours, at least compared to you know, big broker dealers, is people come in with a certain set of expectations about access. And, um, and you know, it's, it's, it's not always as easy to compete. Uh, you know, we compete on our service and compete, um, you know, with our, you know, with our partnerships with people like you guys. It's, you know, it's, it's um, you know, it, the table stakes have, in, have increased uh, as far as technology goes for, for, um, for independent firms like us. Um, and, uh, and it's just a function of the industry, you know, you know, getting bigger, and bigger, like Mr. You know, Wigglesworth said. So, um, so it's, it's, a uh, it's, but it's interesting as technology becomes a more integrated part of everybody's life, not just, you know, millennials and Gen Z years, but, you know, you know, you know, boomers and, and even greatest generation people, you know, adopting it, you know, the, I think the firms that are going to be able to incorporate those solutions into those platforms are going to be the ones that succeed. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, we can have a whole another episode on that if we wanted to, but it's um, but it's it's just it, it, again it, again go back to one of the first things we talked about innovation and and um, you know kind of being an early adopter uh and I mean, managing that risk so um, so yeah I, I Bill I totally agree and um, and hopefully we can keep up. <laughs> yeah, well, no question. It's it's been really interesting if you think about you know just my own personal experience in what a good advisor delivered in 2000 compared to what a good advisor delivers in 2021 is a very different thing. Mm -hmm. And the beneficiaries, the the end end client in so many different ways. And if I think about 2031, you know, I I don't have any tea leaves in front of me, but my guess is the client experience uh, just continues to increase. You know, we, Nick mentioned the, the, uh, advisor benchmark survey, we also run this global investors. And we hear year in and year out that the highest piece of value add, the thing that end investors care about is this feeling of sense of security or peace of mind. Yeah, And we see leading firms like yours recognizing that kind of those four C's Nick mentioned, they enable that sense of security, that peace of mind in different ways for different kinds of people at different stages in their life. And where I think the client experience continues to evolve is sure you're going to use some technology, but it's going to create leverage for Burke and Bill to be able to say, you know what, I've got another way to deliver value to this family and help them through this particularly challenging point in their life. Or I'm going to be able to help their children in this way that we couldn't have been able to help them before. I'm going to help the foundation in this way that we couldn't have helped them before. And so I think that that's the really cool and exciting piece. Yeah, yeah, well put, well put. Plus, it's you know, it's it's kind of funny, and, and just the, the fact that we're doing this podcast is it is you know, it's another example of a technology that kind of grew out of you know what we all lived through last year when you know you had to be. Um, you know, in, in, in online or in Zoom meetings to, you know, to conduct business or see each other. And, 
and uh, people are growing more comfortable with it. And um, and you know, it's a it's a medium that we think we can use to help uh, educate and and you know maybe to a lesser extent entertain folks. Uh, you know that you know our, our clients, our mutual clients, and so um, anyway. But it's it's a uh, but it's funny. I mean, you know, we're obviously not the only firm that's that's you know trying to do stuff like this. Uh, I mean, everybody now has uh, these these sorts of um, media ambitions, and so it's funny how the you know the the the, the industry continues to evolve. <laughs> I, 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 I never imagined this would be part of my job as I, when I you know took a job as a stock analyst at Merrill Lynch, you know, twenty something odd years ago. But, but here we are. <laughs> You know, Burke, I think that a lot of folks do recognize the, the media, you know, the importance of being able to communicate in that way. What is funny is you guys, you have this holistic ability to help folks from everything, like you've said, build a trust, the asset management, legacy planning, all of those different ways. And then you come into this to say, hey, we might be able to help our clients better understand right. uh, a little bit more about us or other ways we can help. Yes, so intertwined. A lot of other folks are using it purely. Hey, this is my marketing tool, and so they they're on the platform all the time because they're more in the business. Just hey, we're just in the trying to generate new business, and you guys focus on your clients, which is why you've had this great success uh, that you've had for so long. And we see that when we go back to those investor surveys, it's just like, why are the fastest growing firms? What are they doing? They're they're generating referrals from their great clients because they recognize. That's a very different experience. You know, most folks out there aren't getting the same level of care. Well, Jack, you're you're so very kind with this comments. We really appreciate it. <laughs> no, but well, we, I mean, we, we can see that data pretty clearly yeah. when we look through the 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 investor survey, and that just you know, again, that's those are folks like your end clients that are writing those comments, and those comments aren't about dimensional. We, we get to see, hey, that's a pretty high. Uh, NPS rating that we're getting across the board and, and some of those write-in comments, they really, they hit to why we do what we do. I think all of four of us are passionate about markets and all that, but we're passionate about markets because we recognize the ability for that to help real people and real people of all different stripes to, to have a different investment experience. And that, that's a powerful thing. Well, I mean, that's, that's kind of a great way to, we, we don't want to uh, make, we're trying to do these, keep these, these cat podcasts under an hour if we can. And so we're coming up, we're about 50 minutes in. And um, one thing uh, I think as we sign off, one thing I would point I'd like to make is um, trust company talks, which, which Burke and I are, are, are working together on this. Um, we're going to be doing a series of these and um we, I feel like we've just touched the tip of the iceberg with you guys. Right. You guys can get so in the weeds on different, and we 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 want to have you guys back on multiple occasions to talk. We might have um, next time we talk, we might specifically talk about just small capitalization stocks or just what's going on with uh, you know the value premium versus the growth premium, all these different things. Um, this was kind of introduction to dimensional fund advisors one hundred and one and how we work with you guys. So. Um, we look forward to many, many more conversations in the future. Yeah, absolutely. And and, um, and y'all have been gracious enough to share that you would, you know, you're you're happy to to get uh, Dr. Booth and uh, um, just to give you a little bit of background doc, about your CEO. I believe the University of Chicago Business School is named after him. Is that correct? That is correct. So okay, okay. Going back to that that story, you know, he 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 recognized the value of those ideas. 
And, you know, he went out and implemented them initially in those index funds in 71, but he, he never lost sight of that. And he built a lifelong friendship with many of the academics that were instrumental in rewriting the modern finance books. And because of the success he'd had in deploying these ideas, he, uh, he, he was a generous benefactor back to the university because he felt it was the right thing to do. He's a very loyal guy. So I've met, I've met Dr. Booth on several occasions. And um, for our viewers, if, if they're, a lot of our viewers are sports fans also. And I was watching 30 for 30 on ESPN one night. And I said, oh, my goodness. That's Dr. Booth. That's the CEO of DFA. There was a, they did a documentary about the original rules of basketball. But they were written by James Naismith, who invented the game. Um, there, some, the Naismith family actually owned the original that were written out on a pad. Mm-hmm. Just think about it. And in a glass case, it was like the Magna Carta or something, you know. And, um, <laughs> and uh, there was a huge uh, – and the, the Naismith family, for whatever reason, decided to sell – to sell those and all the great schools, Burke and I happen to be University of North Carolina graduates, which we feel like we have a little bit of a basketball tradition there. And as, <laughs> as do other schools that we, uh, we have many clients who are Duke graduates, which is somewhat uh, comical at times. And uh, they like to always mention the fact that we're working for them. They like to get that in there. But, uh, um, but Dr. Booth ended up as a University of Kansas yeah. undergraduate uh, um as a graduate from University of Kansas, he helped University of Kansas end up purchasing the original rules of basketball, which now hang in, in what is it, Nate? What is the what's the arena there? Naismith Auditorium, or I'm, I'm not sure what it is. No, it's um, what is it? Fog Allen, or what is it called? It's it's uh, it's the, the it's the Field House, is it? Isn't it? Um, yeah, this Field House, maybe Fog Allen Court, yeah. or something. Like that. Yeah, yeah, something like that. But I, I thought, I mean, is, that Al, is it Allen Field House? Anyway, I, I was out there last year, and I actually I've seen the exhibit. It's yeah, even as even as a Tar Heel, I got to say, it's pretty doggone impressive. <laughs> <laughs> but he, but he's an interesting guy. He's not just a guy that's looking at uh, looking grinding over numbers all the time and everything. But um, we certainly appreciate your time this morning, gentlemen, and um, and we look forward to many more conversations. We, we look having forward to having Doctor Booth on here and several of your other people uh, down the road. But um, Jack, it's always great to see you. I haven't seen you in a while. And uh, good to see you, Bill. Talk to Nick all the time, and um, Nick, appreciate all you do for our firm. And um, um, I just want to thank you, thank you for your time, gentlemen. And Burke, if you want to close us out, any yeah, appreciate it, guys. Comments? We'll we'll see you guys soon. Yeah, thanks, thanks, so thanks, much. thanks, thanks again. Thanks for having us on. This is yes, this sir. Is a pleasure. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Trust Company Talks. These opinions are intended as entertainment. Any opinions expressed on this podcast by Bill Noble, Burke Coons, or anyone else are not necessarily those of Trust Company of the South. There is no guarantee that these statements, opinions, or forecasts provided herein will prove to be accurate. Any information is not a complete summary or statement of all available data necessary for making an investment decision and does not constitute a recommendation. These materials are not intended to be tax or legal advice. The readers are encouraged to consult their own legal tax and investment advisor before implementing any financial strategy.